With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. God, I cannot believe we are up to episode number 612. We've been at this for six years, and I have just been so fortunate. It's been like having a personal university that I get to sit at the feet of some really interesting people who are doing very cool things. And if this is your first time to this podcast, you'd better fasten your seatbelt because we're going to go on a journey today. But before we get started, I have to thank one of the sponsors of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Spectrum Reach. Now, at Spectrum Reach, they know three things better than anyone. They know how to harness the power of multi-screen advertising. They know how to offer a simplified, one-stop shop destination for marketing solutions. And they know how our towns and cities tick because they're our neighbors. Hey, they are the most trusted media partner in America. I thank them for their sponsorship of this podcast. To to learn more, visit SpectrumReach.com. So today, we're going to take a little journey into the cannabis industry. So today, we have with us uh, Nancy Whiteman, and she is the CEO and the co-founder of a company called Wana. Now, when I asked her about Wana, I was thinking it was like, oh, they have edibles. I want some. And she said, no, it's like marijuana. And I was like, oh, I love plays on words, and I didn't even pick up on it. So Nancy, welcome Welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Well, thank you so much. I'm delighted to be with you today. So, you're, you know, you didn't start your career in the cannabis industry because the cannabis industry is still relatively brand new. Tell us about your background. What, what did young Nancy do? <laughs> not, that, well, not that you're not still young Nancy, because clearly yes, you are. Yeah. Uh, we'll call me young at heart, Nancy. How's <laughs> that? Um, So um, actually, I have a fairly, I would say, traditional business background. Um, I have an MBA. I worked in corporate America for, for, uh, gosh, long time, almost 20 years. Um, I was the um, chief marketing officer uh, for a financial services company back east before I moved to Colorado. And then I was consulting for... um, in the sales and marketing arena for, um, for many years before I started WANA. And um, yes, it's kind of a funny story how WANA got started. Uh, I just mentioned I was, I was doing sales and marketing consultancy. And uh, although I loved it, um, uh, consulting is a very difficult business to scale. And uh, because mostly your clients are buying you, right? And so, uh, you can't clone more of yourself, so your your income is limited to a certain degree by how many hours you have in the day. 
And so I was always very interested in a product focused business that I could grow and scale and would have a life beyond me. And so I always sort of had it in my mind that that's what I wanted to do. But I have to admit that cannabis was not <laughs> uh, <laughs> was not the thing that I was thinking about. So uh, that part kind of came uh, kind of organically. It was um, uh, a neighbor who uh, I hadn't seen him for a while, and I asked him what he was up to. And he said that he was making infused soda pop. And I have to laugh because although I was no stranger to cannabis, I was a stranger to the language of legal cannabis. And so my comment was, infused with what? <laughs> <laughs> he said, uh, infused with, with marijuana, which uh, was what we called cannabis 10 years ago. Um, so long story short, my partner and I ended up um, uh, building out a kitchen with him. And it was a relatively short-lived partnership, as many of those partnerships uh, were. But it got us going in the industry hmm. and uh, in, uh, in a product-focused business, which is what I was wanting to do. So if you could get on a plane and fly back east and see all your old bosses from the big financial services company where you were the director <laughs> of marketing, uh, would they be shocked that you're now the, the, the queen of edibles? <laughs> yeah, I think they probably would be. I think people who knew me well probably would not be, but but most of them would be, I would have to say. So th the industry is relatively new. You said you started this partnership about 10 years ago. Is that how long cannabis has been legal in Colorado or is it less than that? Yeah, just about. Um, about so um, we founded WANA in July of 2010. And that was right after sort of the first real full round of regulation was coming through where, you know, you had to have a kitchen, you had to be licensed. It was no longer completely the Wild West. So we are, we consider ourselves uh, one of the OG of the edibles <laughs> business. <laughs> so, I mean, if you think about it, in the, in the scope of business, 10 years is a blink of an eye, right? And yes. so your whole industry, I call the show Making Waves at Sea Level. Your whole industry is making waves because first it was Colorado and, you know, I don't know how many states now, but we're almost halfway, I guess, through through the states. A lot has happened since you said, let's make infused soda pop and then founded, mm -hmm. uh, and founded WANA. So what is going on in the industry that other industries can learn from? Because it's new, it's shaken up. People still go like, oh my gosh, she works She works in the marijuana industry. <laughs> well, things really have changed a lot in the last 10 years. And there's sort of a, a joke in cannabis that a year in cannabis is equivalent to dog years, right? <laughs> so uh, I, that would put me at about 70 years in the cannabis industry. <laughs> uh, it's changing very, very rapidly. Um, you, you, you were joking about people sort of whispering, but that is how I felt 10 years ago. You know, um, at that point in time, I had um, school-aged children. Uh, they're now young adults, but uh, I was very cautious about who I talked to about what I was doing. And now I sing it from the rooftops. You know, it, it's uh, much more mainstream, much more accepted. Um, but in terms of what other businesses can learn from cannabis, um, I, I think, first of all, there's a lot of what, what cannabis can learn from other businesses. And one of the things that makes cannabis fascinating is that it is essentially uncharted territory, right? So it's not like some other businesses that you can start and say, how did this dry cleaner, you know, come to prominence in this town? There's no real models that you can look at or point to and say, they did it this way and therefore I'm going to do it this way. 
you have to be somebody who's comfortable with forging your own path if you're going to be in cannabis. And so in terms of what other industries can learn from cannabis, I think um, they they can look and, and see how it is that successful companies have uh, pivoted in an environment where regulations change constantly. Um, we have a, a rather unique situation where because it's federally illegal, but legal on a state-by-state -state basis, we have literally, um, you know, different rules and regulations in every market that we operate in. We essentially have to restart the business in every market mm -hmm. because uh, in cannabis, you have to cultivate, process, and dispense or retail completely within the confines of that state. And every state, for example, our packaging looks different in every state. Sometimes our dosages are different in every state. It's all very regulatorily driven. So I think flexibility, persistence, and resilience are the three key messages that I would say are the takeaways from cannabis to other industries. So you are the leading edibles company in North America. Now, I don't know if anybody listening realizes that, and I am certainly not a connoisseur nor an expert in, in this field, but there is a lot of companies selling edibles. Yes. If you visit a dispensary in California, it's a different product than you're going to necessarily find in Colorado or you know Washington. Uh, in, in a lot of cases, it's different companies in, in these places that are regulated state by state. So there's a lot of players out there. So to be the biggest, you obviously are doing some things right as, a, as, a, as, a, as an executive. What are some of the things that you did early on that contributed to your success to take this top role? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I have to go all the way back and, you know, I'm, I'm uh, one of those sort of uh, founder, co-founder, CEO types. So what that means literally is that we, we started the company with two people and grew it from there. Um, and so um, that is in some ways tough and challenging. And I believe me, I kept my day job for the first year and a half or so because I didn't pay myself. But um, it also means that I, I literally am familiar with every aspect of the business. And so there were decisions that we made early on that have carried through to today. And one of those is has to do with our commitment to consistency and quality. When we first started out in Colorado, even though, as I mentioned before, it was sort of uh, early stages of legalization. So it was always legal what we were doing, but it was kind of the wild west. They didn't even really require uh, third-party lab testing for potency or contaminants or solvents or any of those things that we do now. Um, there was no um, child resistant packaging. There was, you know, there was just a, a million things. There was no seed to sale tracking, all the things that have become sort of industry standards. But we made a decision early on that we never wanted to sell a product where we did not understand exactly what our customers were going to be consuming. So right from the very beginning, we uh, used a third-party lab to test the potency of our products so that we got a reputation very early on that if you try to want a product, it would be the same. You could count on it. And I think quality and consistency, of course, are bywords in every industry, but you know, such an important quality in cannabis where the product that you're taking has a psychoactive quality to it. You really don't want to be having wildly different experiences 
experiences every time you take this product, you want to be able to count on professionals making it and having it be consistent. And my understanding, my understanding is, is that it can be all over the map with some companies in that field that you take one, one on a Tuesday and you have one experience and you buy a different package from the same manufacturer and it can be different the next time. So if that's, if that's something that you've always worked on controlling, that has to set you apart from a lot of people, a lot of players. You know, it has gotten so much better, Tom, you know, from the early days where there were no requirements that you lab test. Now, everybody is required, at least in Colorado, everybody is required. Most markets we're in, everybody is required to lab test. Arizona uh, is still an exception to that. But we operate in, in nine states and in Canada, and the regulations are different in each of them. But yes, it was a very differentiating um aspect of WANA in the early days where I remember there were um, articles in the Denver Post where the reporter would go and buy, you know, 20 different edibles and and bring them to a lab and have them lab tested and then report out on what the lab said was in there versus what the company said was in there. And it was it was all over the board, as you said. So that that real focus on quality and consistency has been with us right from the beginning. And um, so that was a key to our success. One of the other keys to our success actually happens to be uh, in the category that we ended up focusing on. Um, I think in the early days, we, like many edibles company, we we were essentially trying a whole bunch of different products, um, figuratively throwing them against the wall, you know, to see what would stick. Because one of the things about being in a brand new industry is that there's no real analytics. You know, and I came out of an industry that was very mature, had a lot of analytics. I could always, you know, take a look at what was happening in the marketplace and really could not do that with cannabis. You just had to experiment. Um, And early days, I began to notice a company that was, um, their business model was different from ours, but what they were doing was they were purchasing uh, gummies like gummy worms and gummy bears and that sort of thing. And they were spraying them with a a hash oil with a distillate. Um, And I could see that they were taking off. It was a very popular product. And, you know, I felt that WANA could do better, that we could make a product from scratch that would be completely homogeneous. Um, So you could cut it into four pieces and every piece of it would be exactly the same that it could taste delicious. You didn't have to bite into it and taste hash oil sitting on the top of it. Um, And so very early on, we started to get into the gummies and gummies have turned out to be just the killer category. And I I take some credit for that, but it probably would have happened without Wana. Um, But, you know, um, there's an analytics firm called BDSA and, um, they recently released a a statistic that I thought was fascinating that they tracked um, gummies market share in four major markets. I believe it was Colorado, uh, California, Nevada, and I believe Oregon. And what they found is that, that gummies account for 84% of the candy candy category in cannabis. And the candy category is by far the largest edibles category. So part of what, um, we did is we, we chose a great category and then we doubled down on it. We kept refining it, improving it, enhancing it, making the, it the absolute best product on the market. So those were two things that I would point to. So one of the things you talked about was, you know, tracking from seed to sale. And mm-hmm. I imagine the logistics part of tracking your product from seed to sale, as you said, 
uh, you know, I mean, like any industry, I mean, it's all about tracking, right? It's all about keeping that yes. quality control. What are some of the hard parts of, of seed to sale tracking? Well, seed to sale tracking really um, is the system by, by which the state makes sure that people are operating above board and legally. So it starts literally at plants in the ground. Every plant gets tagged with a, with a, a, a radio frequency ID tag. Um, and literally as they move from room to room, um, it, it, the tag moves with them and it's tracked as it grows. So it goes from what we call veg, which is the early stage to the grow rooms. And then when it's harvested, it gets tracked when it gets turned into an oil or a distillate or it's sold as flour, it gets tracked. Now we come in a little bit later in the process. So we are actually purchasing the oil or the distillate. Um, So someone else has done a lot of the heavy lifting, if you will, on the tracking. We pick up at the point where we're actually buying the oil. And then we are tracking the oil coming into our system. We're tracking it going into our products. Um, we know, and of course the state knows too, exactly how much distillate it takes to make all the products. And then when we sell it to the dispensary, it's tracked through. And when the dispensary sells it, that's the end of it. That's the sale part of it. So we come in sort of, I would say at least halfway through the process. Hmm. Um, but it does require a lot of precision because, uh, you need to know what you're doing, right? So if you're coming, if you're bringing in a certain amount of distillate, and you're wasting it and you're inefficient with your your product, not only are you um, wasting the key and most expensive ingredient in your product, um, the state by rights would would say, hey, I can see you brought, you know, X number of grams of distillate into the facility. And by our calculation, that should have made X number of units. And oh, by the way, what happened to them? So you, you do need to really be paying attention and to be very skilled in that area. So I'm sure that over the last 10 years, because you've, you've grown to a larger op- operation, how many employees do you have now? We have about 100 employees. Yeah, and, and I, I would have to say that that growth must have been interesting. So people who listen to the show know, you may I may not have shared that with you, but in addition to hosting the podcast and, and being a speaker, I work in the executive search industry. And the firm that I work for, I've never worked on a search in, in cannabis, but there's several people within the firm. And it interests me because it's a growing field, right? And you can't just say, oh, well, let's go get someone with 15 years cannabis experience (laughs) because the person who had cannabis experience 15 years ago may not be your corporate fit. So, (laughs) um, So I know that it's a fascinating industry to find the right employees, whether it's for somebody at the CEO level, marketing, your CFO. I mean, the, the rules around money uh, for your companies uh, are just amazing. So finding the right people to put on, you know, you always hear put the right people in the right seat on the bus. Mm-hmm. It must be a hundred times harder for you, or at least was 10 years ago. What's some of your, your staffing stories? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know that question was coming. <laughs> I could keep people entertained for hours with my staffing stories, but uh, let me cut to the good parts of my staffing stories, which is, you know, how do you find people who are the right fit? And cannabis is an interesting industry. Um, I've seen um, people who, as you alluded to, maybe 15 years ago, they were in the industry and, uh, you know, they were a canopreneur, shall we say, before it was legal, and um, may not always have the skill sets to make that translation to a more buttoned up regulated industry. And then on the other hand, uh, the other extreme, 
I've seen companies hire people with, you know, 25 years of CPG experience, for example. Um, and those people may not have the, um, the flexibility and the resiliency to um, be successful uh, in, in an industry that's young and changing very fast and has no rules and changes from state to state. Um, you know, j- sticking with CPG for a moment, you know, a lot of CPG brands are built on television and TV ads, right? You can't do that in cannabis. So you have to have um, a flexible mindset. You have to have the right personality. You have to enjoy the challenge of things changing all the time. Uh, and that's not everybody, right? So it's both an experience, a skill set, and just a personality that makes somebody a good fit. Well, I know from talking to people that, you know, there's a lot of industries where, you know, when you when you have a job open, it's like, why would we use an executive search firm? We just have to raise our hand in our industry and everybody in the world comes comes a running and they're all super experienced in our in our industry. And and I know that for industries that are a little bit more unique, just as Mm -hmm. a broad category, uh, it makes the search very interesting because you've got to find somebody who has the skill set and who then also has the. Uh, the the personality and everything to get into a growth industry and also, you know, around cannabis, just, you know, the the history of it. If you're of a certain age, maybe there's a, you know, telling your mother where you went to work uh, might be an issue with, (laughs) you you know, the search becomes interesting on a lot of levels, right? It's true. And then uh, in addition to all the things that you're saying, you know, sometimes I just, I meet a candidate and and I I say about them, they have a want of personality. There's also just the, ever important intangible fit with the corporate culture. And um, I, I look for, obviously I look for skills and experience and and all that good stuff, but I also look for somebody who um, has the right fit for our culture. And, uh, and what I'm looking for is somebody who truly has a passion for the plant, has a passion for the industry, um, has that, that flexibility, uh, is, is able to fit into our culture. Um, and, and that's not everybody. Um, I've, I've had uh, people sometimes who are, are fantastic candidates, brilliant people, and they're just not the right fit for us. And, and, I, and my experience and, and what I'm learning being relatively new to executive search is I don't care what industry you're in. Nancy has just given you the, the th- three key spots is are the people passionate about the product, the industry, and are they a cultural fit? All of that has to be a yes, in addition to all the other things you look for in a great in a great candidate. So absolutely. Yeah. Nancy, this is a lot of fun. I, this could become like a two-hour episode if you had the time. But, but before I ask you a couple of more questions, I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So bear with me for just a minute because this episode, like all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly, they take the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly, they set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves in interesting industries like Nancy Whiteman is. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know... I know that some of you do jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Nancy, I used to call this show cool things entrepreneurs do. What's the coolest thing that's happening right now at Wana? (laughs) Wana? 
You know, um, there, th- I guess there's two big buckets that, that I would call out uh, on that. Uh, number one is to our market expansion. Um, you know, we started out, as I said, just this tiny little company in Colorado, and now we operate in nine markets plus Canada, nine states plus Canada. We're in the process of launching in three more states. So just to watch our brand become a national brand is so cool and so exciting. And to see how the brand translates from market to market, it, it really is a, a thrilling experience to be part of. Um, but the second thing that I would point to is our um, innovation and R&D pipeline. Um, you know, cannabis is still such a nascent industry. It's still so early stage and there's so much more to come. Um, and I think where, and, and I see this every time we enter a new market, you know, everybody's just so excited that they have legal access to, to cannabis that, you know, that just the THC sort of carries the day. Um, but there's so much more to the plant than that. There are so many health and wellness um, uh, benefits and use cases for it. And we're really focused on creating much more sophisticated, innovative products um, that really help people deal with, um, you know, issues that are, are very meaningful in their lives, uh, sleep, anxiety, pain, um, things that people uh, are looking for, for healthy plant-based uh, alternatives to. And to be a part of that and to get the feedback that we get from our customers and literally to have people tell me and seek me out to tell me that our products have changed loved ones' lives, changed their lives, in some cases saved their lives, um, is a very profound experience. And it's the most meaningful thing that I've ever gotten to do in my career. So you bring up an interesting point because we do think of, when we think of cannabis, we think, oh my God, marijuana, THC, <laughs> yeah. stoner, stoners. Uh, but there is so much more. Can you tell people who maybe don't know what's the difference between CBD and THC? Sure. So a THC and CBD are two of many, many, many cannabinoids in the plant. And the cannabinoids are the, um, the plant components that have all of these different medicinal qualities to them. THC is the most well-known, of course, because it is the one that has the psychoactivity. Um, and it also is the one that occurs in the most abundance in the cannabis plant. Um, CBD is, an, is another cannabinoid, and it also occurs uh, with some abundance, not quite as much as THC. It has many of the same medicinal properties as THC, but it has none of the psychoactivity. So it's wonderful for inflammation, anxiety, et cetera. Are there other chemicals in the plant that we're going to see other uses for? I, I'm only familiar with those two. You said many others and you, you perked me there's up. Many. There's many. There's more to yeah. come. Yes, there's many more to come. Um, some of the other ones that you're starting to see a lot of on the marketplace now is uh, CBN, uh, CBG. Uh, the, lots of these are all uh, long abbreviations for long chemical names. Um, and they all have slightly different qualities uh, in terms of what they do in the body. Our body has something that's called the endocannabinoid system. And it's one of the main regulators of uh, many important bodily functions, including metabolism, how we handle pain, appetite, all kinds of things. Uh, and the cannabis plant literally uh, connects to the endocannabinoid system. And so because of that, 
there are, you know, many, many things that have yet to be learned because the plant has been federally illegal for so long. We are very behind in terms of our real research on the plant and the components of the plant. But in, the, in addition to the cannabinoids, there's other important qualities to the plant, uh, including terpenes, which are the things that give uh, the plant its sort of characteristic smell and flavor. Uh, sometimes you'll see, you know, grape ape and, you know, uh, lots of fruity kinds of names or diesel. These are all a function of the terpenes in the plant. But what people don't always know is that the terpenes are very major contributors also to the effect of the plants. And um, one of the things that we do going back to our consistency comment earlier is that we have developed um, with a leading edge, a terpene company, proprietary terpene blends um, that um, we use consistently across the country in all of our markets so that we have very similar um, effects. Uh, if you try an Indica product in, in Oregon, it's going to be the same as the Indica product product that you get in Illinois because of these terpene blends. And there's also other plant components called flavonoids, and and those are sort of up and coming too. So it's a very complex, very sophisticated plant, and we are at early stages of figuring out how to really uh, tap into the power of the plant. Yeah, I I am curious why all of the chemicals sound like cable news stations, because we've got THC, (laughs) CBD, CBN, and CBG. But uh, uh, it is it is fascinating to me that the connectors in there match up with our bodies. It is it does yes. it does lend us to say maybe we should be researching this because I don't think broccoli has the same impact with the body. No, <laughs> although broccoli is very good for you too. <laughs> yeah, don't tell. Yeah, George George H W Bush didn't think so. But the rest of us. <laughs> I'm the only per- I'm the only person listening old enough to remember that George H. W. Bush <laughs> made a rule when he became president that nobody could serve him broccoli, and, and actually broccoli sales dropped in the 80s and 90s because of that. So, oh my gosh! So anyway, this has been just an absolutely fantastic interview. Um, last question I ask everybody who comes on the show is: When you look out into the world of business, it doesn't have to be uh, the cannabis business. When you look out into the world of business, who do you look at? and say, wow, she or he, they're making waves. I admire them. Yeah. Um, you know, that is, so, you know, there's often individuals that we point to, but I think the, the mark of a great brand is that eventually it transcends the founder and the person who we associate with it. Um, but I, I love brands where the um, sort of their mission and their social responsibility uh, attributes are intricately woven into the brand. So, you know, for, for those kinds of brands, I would say I love Patagonia. Um, I love Warby Parker, Tom's, um, some of the real, uh, Ben and Jerry's even, some of the brands that have really made deep embedded not tacked on uh, commitments to being a good corporate citizen and changing the world for the better. Those are sort of some of my hero brands. And, and then, of course, you know, I, I, I look at just iconic brands like uh, Nike and uh, Apple, and I'm, I'm in awe of what they've achieved. But those would be some of the ones on my list. Well, I have a little I have a really good gut feeling about things. And I think somebody some, someday someone's going to go, Tom, you got to interview Nancy Whiteman. 
Juana has transcended Nancy Whiteman, but you know, you knew her? Yes, I knew her when. So thank you so much for coming on the show. If somebody wants to find out more about the company, if they want to find you, yes, how do they do that? Well, the easiest thing is to go to our website, www.wannabrands.com or www.wannawellness.com, which is our CBD brand. Awesome. And so. CBD is legal in all 50 states. Is that correct? Yes, there's a couple of states um, that that still are not allowing it, but there's I think there's only two or three. So it, it, it mostly is. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a guest here on the show. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. Uh, I think this was not only informative, but it certainly was fun. Uh, I say it every time, though. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we do the show? So please come back every Tuesday and Thursday where we're going to have interesting interviews with people who are making waves. And in the meantime, go out there, flex your own entrepreneurial muscles, uh, go out, Make sure that your career ladder is against the right wall, that you have that passion and that culture fit wherever you work, because otherwise it just sucks. So make sure that your ladder is against the right, the correct wall as you climb it. And go out there and while you're doing all this stuff, have some fun. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.